You know, one of the one of the challenges of preaching through a really big book like the book of Psalms that we've been looking at, uh, and, and Vicky, I thought it was September of 2018. My wife reminded me it's been June of 2018 when we started on Psalm 1. Uh, is that it takes such an extended period of time that it inevitably trips over important holidays in the liturgical calendar of the church. Uh, you know, holidays that people expect to hear their pastor preach on, like Ash Wednesday and, and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And it goes without saying that in the month of December, of course, uh, folks expect to hear a Christmas message. And so it's, it's sometimes with a little trepidation that I, I read through the psalm for the coming week and wonder what, if any, connection it may have to whatever particular time of year that we're in. Uh, and I have to tell you, that's a bigger problem than you may realize. My pastor brother there probably realizes it as well because my job, our job as pastors, our commitment, our sacred duty before God is to, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so what that means is, in other words, I can't just take a section of Scripture and make out of it whatever fits my own personal needs. I can't just shoehorn God's Word into whatever framework I want. I have to read the meaning out of the text and not try to read and insert my own interpretation into it. Okay? And that takes homework. That takes time. It takes a genuine desire to preach the truth, and more than anything else, it takes the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to allow my otherwise sinful, human, fleshly eyes to see the message that's waiting in here to be received. Amen. But you know, when that happens, you can't help but want to share it. Am I right? Amen. Amen. And that brings me to our text today as we wind down this look, uh, this section of the Psalm of Ascents, and we close in on the end of the whole book, really. Um, so, so let's just read it today and, and open up God's Word, and, and then we'll, we'll kind of start to unpack it. So if you're following along in your Bible, and I hope you are, because again, it's great that it's in mine, but it's better that it's in yours, in your hand. Uh, we're reading Psalm 133, superscribed as Psalm of Ascents of David. David writes, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God to us today. Let's pray. Father God, who created all scripture to be written for our learning, and so uh, grant us so to hear it today, Father, by your Spirit, that we may embrace and hold fast the truths that you have given us in them. Uh, and Father, we want to see Jesus, and we ask you for that grace in his name. Amen. Amen. So I'm willing to bet that as I was reading that, you were probably thinking, Pastor, what in the world does that psalm have to do with Christmas? Uh, as a matter of fact, what's that psalm have to do with anything? And it's, it's actually, it's okay to ask that. Honestly, that's the experience of many Christians when they sit down to read the Old Testament. You know, they open, open their Bible and they begin reading and very soon find themselves in a place that seems totally different than the New Testament with seemingly random stories and genealogies and strange laws and the occasional talking donkey. All that make for sometimes confusing reading. 
But there is a simple place to start, and that is this. Your Bible is one book, one story, about one person, and that person is the person of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that you need to do is ask yourself, no matter what book or what chapter or what verse you're reading from, is how does this point to Jesus? Or, or how does this passage connect, even if indirectly, with the underlying theme that points me toward Christ? And, and it doesn't just jump right off the page on Psalm 133 at first glance, I'll admit. But let me suggest to you that its underlying message, its, its core communication is a message of restored communion and personal reconciliation with God the Father that he made available to fallen humanity through the birth of his son in Bethlehem. A message of, of as Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And you know what? That, that message, that's the very same message that the company of angels delivered to a band of brothers tending sheep on a, a cold Bethlehem night, isn't it? That's recorded for us in Luke chapter 2 when they proclaimed, and listen to how similar this, song, this sounds to uh, Psalm 133.1. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and what? On earth peace and goodwill toward men. See, and it's that message and the men that it was delivered to that are what I want us to consider today in and around the, the text of Psalm 133. The message of perfect peace that we can have with God and with each other because of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, our Lord who, who is in himself that Lord's commanded blessing of life forevermore. That life that came down for us at Christmas as silently, as humbly, as gently, yet as refreshingly as the dew that falls on the mountains of Zion. Uh, a message sent not to the, the pharaohs of Egypt or the Caesars in Rome, not to the power brokers or the captains of industry or the cultural elite of the day, but to a tiny group of shepherds, to, to a bunch of, of nobodies in the middle of nowhere uh, or so it would seem at first glance, until we look a little deeper, because the truth is, these guys were no ordinary shepherds. These were Bethlehem shepherds. And if you were here Christmas Eve, Pastor John alluded to this in his Christmas Eve message. <clears throat> these were the shepherds who raised the sheep that were offered as daily sacrifices in the temple. Levitical shepherds, priestly descendants of Aaron, who specifically bred their flocks to have lambs all through the year, including late autumn and winter. And if you ever grew up raising sheep like I did, you know you just don't do that, right, for no reason. Especially trained men uh, from one big family clan who stayed out in the fields all night, under the stars, guarding the flock, rather than uh, just moving them into a, a typical outdoor sheepfold. Because in the sacrificial flock, when the ewes were ready to deliver, these shepherds needed to be ready to move them from the open pasture into an indoor shelter so that the mothers could be individually watched as they gave birth and so that their lambs could be sorted and checked for defects. Because for the altar, only the best would do. And the place where these, these shepherds used for the delivery of their lambs was a little encampment southeast of Jerusalem, a place actually first mentioned in Scripture 
Uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter 35, verse 21, it actually starts out in the context of the death of Jacob's wife, Rachel. But it tells us, verse 19, so Rachel died. She was buried on the way to Ephrah, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a, a pillar over her tomb. It's the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. And I think if, when you were in Israel, you probably saw it, didn't you, John? Rachel's tomb in Israel? Uh, and Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. So now take that in, in one part of your mind. Fast forward. By Jesus' day, that spot was called Migdal Eder, which means the tower of the flock. Located close to the road between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And believe it or not, that place was actually prophesied about in another section in the Old Testament, in the book of Micah. So if you have your Bibles, look at Micah chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, and, and the prophet says, And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. And that passage, it's, it's part of an extensive section of the book of Micah dealing with the promise of a Messiah. And in it, he's telling us that the first news of the long-expected Savior was to be delivered at the tower of the flock. At that very same place where the lambs being born were inspected for purity. Just message delivered to ordinary working-class guys. People just going through their daily grind of shepherding sheep and, and delivering lambs. But more than that, real brothers living together in unity, just like we read in Psalm 133. Actual sons of Aaron with a single-minded purpose, especially during the winter season of colder nights and shorter days, diligently keeping watch for the first of those newborn lambs who were rubbed clean with rags and looked over in the perfect ones, spotless ones were wrapped in strips of cloth around the middle so they could be distinguished from the other just ordinary sheep uh, as they all began to stand up and start to nurse. And so it's into that, that dark and, and messy and straw-covered scene that something incredible happened that Luke tells us in chapter 2. He says, In the same region there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. And so you see, when these shepherds heard this spectacular announcement by this multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, they not only knew exactly where to go to find the baby, but precisely how to identify him when they found him. That he'd be wrapped in strips of swaddling cloth, uh, 
just like those little temple lambs, just like those lambs they wrapped up. And what, a, what an incredible sign that would be. What a sign just pregnant with meaning that they would find the Savior, Christ the Lord, wrapped just like they wrapped their own precious little lambs. Spotless, perfect lambs. Little lambs destined for sacrifice. Which I, I think personally, at least is partially, explains why uh, those particular shepherds were the first to be notified of our Lord's first advent because it was their holy calling. It was their life's work. It was their vocation to certify the Passover lambs at birth and the lambs destined for slaughter so that even in Jesus' birth, we're reminded of the shadow of his death. Reminded that the lamb who comes is not only spotless, but that he comes to suffer. That he comes to take upon himself our sin and the punishment that we deserve and be in actual fact what those little lambs could only picture by their death. Uh, and, and that is the substitutionary penal sacrifice. It's the death of the perfect in place of the flawed. And, and truth be told, if you think about it, even those perfect little lambs weren't ever perfect enough, were they? Their efficacy was only temporary at best. That's why uh, day after day, year after year, century after century, untold millions of animals were sacrificed at the altar. But you know, the death of a lamb or a bull or a goat couldn't ever pay for a person's sin permanently. It was a, a, a placeholder at best, uh, but pointing, as all of Scripture does, to Jesus. And, you know, the people of that day understood that because they knew if animal sacrifices could have provided redemption for a person's sins, then they wouldn't have had to been offered again and again, would they? Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read, For since the sacrificial law was but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body I have prepared for you. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day of the Lord drawing near. And now we, like those shepherds of old on the Bethlehem Plains, we who have heard his voice call out to others, look to the Lamb. 
and that the offering that he made for us. And, and you know, really, honestly, nothing could be more simple, right? I mean, think about it. Simple enough uh, that a child playing with a nativity set can understand the basics of the gospel, and yet a message so weighty that learned theologians cannot fathom its depth, and the brightest minds of history have stood amazed at its contents. Uh, amazed at the humble message of Christmas, just like those shepherds had been. Those shepherds who, the Bible says, returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And, and think about it, though, where, where did they go back to? They went back to living together in their ordinary lives, right? They went back to the tending sheep and, uh, and they didn't set up guided tours to a shrine in Bethlehem and uh, none of them signed a, a book contract to do a tell-all on what they heard and saw at the manger with Mary and Joseph, right? Uh, none of them put on a seminar on how to have visions of angels. Uh, no, they just went back to the place that God had called them to in the beginning and they lived out the rest of their lives. Except now those lives were marked by a joy and a peace and a unity that nothing could ever take away. And, and that's, the, that's kind of what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with that thought, with that message today, that maybe, just maybe, uh, we ought to get back to the simplicity of steadfast Christian living right where we're planted. Uh, centered on the unity of our purpose and on the purity of our devotion to Christ. Maybe we need to see that God is the God of the normal. He's the God of shepherds and carpenters and, and housewives and, and husbands. He's not just the God of the spectacular, but of regular folks like you and me. And he calls us to be Christians who glorify him uh, as we do our jobs or keep our house or, or serve here or enjoy our retirement. Hearing the voice of the shepherd of the sheep as God calls to us to live in a real world filled with real people glorifying and praising him for the gift of a savior. And hey, it's not always spectacular, right? But it is how people who have met the savior are to live. See, we're told, remember, that having seen the, the new baby, the Bible says when they saw him, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And, and you know, they would have told the people what they saw on the way back out to the hills, right? Back to the the tower, and, and likely, hey, they ran into friends, relatives, people from around Bethlehem and Jerusalem, uh, those same middle-class people that they sold sheep to for sacrifices and, and wool, and, uh, and hey, they would have run into important people too, priests from the temple, the place where they took their best lambs for the sacrifice, but in all of this, proclaiming a message of peace and unity, not only among the brotherhood of men, but peace with God. Peace with God. Peace flo flowing down from heaven like that anointing oil on Aaron's beard. Peace flowing down like the dew on Mount Zion. Peace flowing down like the presence of the Holy Spirit binding the church together in unity and worship. That perfect peace that Adam and Eve knew and threw away, but that the Lamb of Bethlehem restored by coming not only to be the perfect sacrifice, but to be the good shepherd as well. Come with the promised blessing that Psalm 133 calls life forevermore. A life for those who are willing to be led by a suffering shepherd turned into a sacrificial lamb, bringing peace on earth, bringing goodwill to men, and then sending us out to tell it over the hills and, and, and everywhere the story of his life forevermore, brothers and sisters, delivered to us 
in a manger at Christmas and always. Amen? Amen. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you so much for the incarnation of your dear Son. We thank you so much that uh, you were willing to send him to take on our human flesh, to live a perfect life, to uh, obey all the dictates of the law that we could never do, uh, and, and to go to the cross willingly to suffer your wrath and, and to die. But three days later, Lord, to rise again in glorious proclamation of your gift of love and forgiveness that we receive only in him. Father, we know one day and, and one day soon he's coming back when he does, it's not going to be as a little lamb in Bethlehem, but as the lion of Judah to bring judgment and fire to the earth. And so, Lord, uh, help us, as, as the Apostle John said, to be looking expectantly, uh, to not draw back in shame at his coming, uh, but to be excited and anxious for that day that we're all waiting for. Uh, Lord, we pray for it. We long for it, as, as Pastor John said Christmas Eve. Uh, come, Lord Jesus, quickly. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen.